before you go to the homeopath, you take a piece of paper. And the homeopath doesn't really need all your test results and all like that. They need to know about the person. So I, I say, take a piece of paper, follow your kid around for a few days. And they go, oh, yeah, because you don't even notice these things after all. And by the way, this is true if you go to the homeopath, too. And I do suggest parents also uh, go, that it's a family thing, that your healing helps your child heal. It's like the whole energy of the family changes. How is it possible for a parent of a child with autism to become the superhero their child needs now? I'm Len. And I'm Cass. When our son was diagnosed with moderate to severe autism, we went all in. We spent over a decade learning everything we could on how we could transform to help our son thrive. And guess what? He's doing it. This year, he ran for class president. Each week on this podcast, we will be sharing the secrets needed for you to become the superhero your child needs. If you want to learn how to tap into your innate superpowers to help your child thrive, visit AutismParentingSecrets.com. Hello and welcome to Autism Parenting Secrets. Today, our guest is Amy Lansky, and Amy was such a pivotal person in our journey. I mean, truly an inflection point for us. And really came down to us becoming aware of the possibility of homeopathy. And when I'm here, I'm just so excited. I have goosebumps because Amy totally changed what was possible for our son. Because when our son was failure to thrive and hadn't grown in three years, we read her book, Impossible Cure. And this book just gave us the hope. It gave us the tools and it gave it the methodology. And our secret that we're so excited to share today, as well as this conversation with Amy, is that homeopathy can work miracles. Welcome, Amy. We're so excited. Tears in my eyes. (laughs) When we look back and just say, hey, what were the key, key learnings, insights, things that happened along the way? We really wanted to know what were all the options? What were all the possible paths? Because otherwise, early on, we just started to do what was expected, whether it was for getting services for our son, or um, we went to some autism conferences and there was like always a general consensus on the things that you should do. And we followed them very, very, you know, uh, religiously. We really wanted to do everything we could. We wanted to do it right. And we really, everything changed when we saw that there were other possible roads that we could go down. And not to say doing alternative or unconventional for the sake of it, but just we knew our son was so unique and that a lot of the things we were doing early on didn't seem like a fit. And also everything would go through him undigested. So here we, medicine. So here we have a child who's taking supplements and medications that were prescribed to him and his body wasn't absorbing any of it. So how it went in was how it went out. And when I discovered your book, I mean, I just remember like saying to Len, like, this is it. I went to our pediatrician and he's like, you know what? Homeopathy, there's no downside and it can work miracles. And that's truly, truly what it did for our child. Oh, thank you for inviting me. It's really exciting because, you know, your experience of finding homeopathy was somewhat similar to mine in which I I was, I mean, this was a long time ago because my son, who I talk about in the book is now, he'll be 30 this year. Um, 
we were also kind of at loose ends and this was at the beginning of this autism thing and no all this all these options were not out there this was like 19 uh, i think it was 1990 God, I can't, 1993 i think when i found out about homeopathy and i i was going i was getting mothering magazine it's not as alternative as it used to be back then but they had this article in it by judith reichenberg allman maybe you've heard her name she's a a homeopath naturopath up in Seattle and there was an it was like a three-page article about homeopathy and I just I read it and I gave it to my husband Steve I said this is it I, I don't know same experience I said this is it I view it as divine intervention I do too synchronicity <laughs> and then you know we just it just went and I talk about that story in my book I still live 10 minutes from Stanford University. I got my PhD there. I was one of the early women computer scientists in Silicon Valley. And um, this was, I got my PhD in 83. And uh, my husband's a PhD in computer science. So I was a researcher at NASA when this was all going on. And uh, in AI, what was AI back then? It's very different than what AI is now. So I was, and I was totally into allopathic medicine, you know, I would never doubt it. I was into, I was very fascinated by spiritual kind of things perhaps, but I was not, I would never question my doctor. So, but when this happened, I, I don't know, I, I can't explain. It changed my entire worldview. So like you said, homeopathy can make miracles and that it was such a startling miracle. I would say it not only cured my son, and his case was was extremely profound. And I got to say that, you know, uh, treatment of autism is difficult for any experienced homeopath. So what happened to us was almost like divine intervention. I can't explain it. But it's also true that the kids back like my son were much less harmed than the kids are now. The world was much less toxic and the invasions on their, the foods, I think, were less toxic. Everything was less toxic. There wasn't glyphosate. So I think his recovery was easier because of that. I think that what kids are facing now is so much more difficult. And the treatment is difficult. But let me tell you, I still get emails from parents who say, my kid recovered because of homeopathy. And it's possible. I have a newsletter. It's and the title of it is, There's Hope with Homeopathy. There's always hope. There's hope. And that's really important when parents feel hopeless. I mean, and you have to be brave enough to try, you know. I know people like friends of my family with autistic kids, and they're, they won't try because they've given up. Right. And so a lot of it is your, it's like your intention, your vision, and then doing and just not giving up hope. That alone can be so important. Homeopathy is miraculous. That's why I called it Impossible Cure, my book. A perfect title, absolutely. You know, I was actually talking to a friend of mine who's an osteopath. And uh, at the time, when I was deciding on a title for the book, and I thought it would be Cure as Possible. And I still wasn't sure about it. And he said, how about Impossible Cure? And I thought, that's it. Ding. Another ding went off. and. Because it has such a double meaning. Because people think homeopathy is impossible. And they right. think autism can't be cured. Right. And so it's just, it's just so wonderful. Anyway. <laughs> 
No, no. Those, those are two beliefs that, yeah, are out there. I know, you know, I had those early on, at least, you know, to some degree. But with homeopathy, you say a lot of times people, they don't want to try it because they've given up. Is that the main reason or like, is it just a lack of an understanding of what homeopathy yeah. is? Because yeah. that's such a hard concept for some people. Well, okay. Well, maybe now I'll tell you a little about homeopathy for everybody. I mean, homeopathy has this, this is why I wrote the book the way I did, because people have to understand homeopathy has a very illustrious and long history in Western medicine. And it is such a threat to the conventional medicine that it was attacked, you know, specifically attacked. Now it's really being attacked now because it poses such a threat. And it's a very different model of healing. So um, homeopaths believe that the remedies, unlike, let's say, all these supplements and everything you're taking, it's not doing something to your body like a drug or medicine. What it's doing is triggering an energetic change in the field of your body so that it can heal itself. So you said your, your son was not absorbing food. And so um, doesn't matter how much food you're sticking in him, if his body can't absorb it, it's just going out the other end, right? That's My right. problem was is his ability to absorb. And so somehow the right remedy triggered some energetic change because our bodies and doctors, we don't really understand this, the magic and the complexity of our, of our physical bodies, let alone this energetic, electromagnetic and beyond thing that's going on with our bodies that can shift how your body is functioning. So it triggers, it doesn't force something, it triggers your body's ability to heal itself. Right. And because of that, it, it feels very different. And the way, and maybe you can shed some light on this, but the way that I've understood homeopathy and what felt right for me, it's basically helping the body to create equilibrium. So if you get that, you know, the remedy right, it's like creating that equilibrium. And the example when I'm describing homeopathy to someone who's just learning about it is the whole idea of like the onion, right? If someone cuts an onion, they might get red watery eyes. And it's really, if someone has red watery eyes, often they're given a dilution of onion. So it's kind of, how do you create balance again? So I know for my son, he was one of the largest kids. I mean, he was like 90th percentile for height and weight when he was like one. And then he didn't grow for almost three years and he went down to failure to thrive. He was seven percentile. So as his mom watching him just kind of keep shrinking and not growing anymore, it was like, and knowing that medicine was not being absorbed or supplements weren't being absorbed and food wasn't being absorbed. Like I wasn't going to accept failure to thrive as what his, it was going to be the end point for him. I'm like, let's find it. And I loved that your title was impossible cure because that's what I was going for because everything else we had tried wasn't working. So I'm like, it, it did feel like divine intervention for us when I read that. And that's where, as you know, Len was saying, back then, it's like, hey, if you know, our doctor's on board, there is no downside, of course, we're going to do this. And we got our miracle from it. You know, and you had a little bit of a rash and then, you know, growth gained 10 pounds and grew three inches in six weeks. It was like, my child came back and those clothes that had been waiting in his closet for three years to put on finally fit him. Yeah. But the hard part is finding the remedy, like you said. So you said, like if somebody has 
watery eyes, and then you might give them a remedy made from onions. So that's the thing. If the remedy is triggering your body's ability to finally know how to heal itself, I think of diseases like your body's like stuck in this state, can't get out of it. And so the question is, is not to force it to do something, but to make it get unstuck and realize, oh, yeah, right. I know how to do this. I know how to heal, you know. So and that is very unique to the individual, right? Like what makes somebody get stuck? It could be a lot of things. It could be a physical, emotional something. It could be lots of things. And everybody's body is different. How everybody even is experiencing COVID is different. I've heard like everybody's experience of it is like completely different. So the question is, is the right remedy is the one that's going to match you as an individual. And so that is the hard part. And that is the magic of homeopathy. And that's why it's called homeopathy because homeo means similar and pathy means suffering. So the goal of the homeopath is to find a remedy that's similar suffering to your suffering. And somehow, this is the discovery of Hahnemann back in the early 1800s, that giving a very dilute dose of a substance that creates symptoms similar to yours will somehow trigger this realization of your body, physical and energetic, to finally correct itself. I have a figure in my book. I don't know if you remember this. It was the idea of a pendulum. It had a pendulum. Mm -hmm. So imagine a pendulum is like stuck off center and it just can't go back to equilibrium like the middle. So what the conventional drugs are doing is trying to push it back to the middle. But what homeopathy does in a way is it's like pulling the pendulum up a little in in the wrong direction and then it sort of Oh, it unlocks it, and then it can swing back. Right. That's one way of thinking about it. There's many models that homeopaths understand about how it works. Now, interestingly, you know, the thing that's really co- that people use to degrade homeopathy, and this has been true since the beginning, is that it's this extremely dilute uh, thing. It's these little white pills. People also confuse. They think homeopathy is like diet or natural medicine. It's a specific form of alternative medicine. If you go into a health food store, it's those little vials with little teeny white pills. So those teeny white pills have been impregnated with the dilution. And the discovery, it's not just a dilution of the substance. It's, it's a process of diluting and shaking a vigorous shaking, and somehow that energetically releases this energy of whatever the substance is. Now, of course, this was this seemed magical, just seems impossible. But just in, I would say in the past 20 years, like people who work in water science, you know, this, all the, this kind of information, it's becoming, including Nobel laureates and stuff, are working in this area and, and figuring out that, yes, indeed, there is something that happens into these dilutions that it's not just pure water because it's so dilute. It's, there's some structural and electromagnetic changes in the water. And unfortunately, this is very threatening to allopathy, because, which is conventional medicine, because I mean, if you think about it, if you can take any substance and then prepare it using this methodology, then you could basically create free medicine. 
because like one little piece of the substance could create a billion doses. Sure. So like there's a famous scientist from France, Luc Montaigne, who won the Nobel Prize for making the connection between HIV and AIDS. And he started investigating this. And then he got he lost all his funding, thrown out of and now he like works in China in a lab in China because it's just too threatening to conventional medicine. And the attacks lately have been very bad on homeopathy. Yep. They're even trying to outlaw homeopathic remedies in the United States. So interestingly, <laughs> the FDA was formed by a homeopath. Yeah, and not yeah, in nineteen thirty-eight, I think it was thirty-eight. He was a homeopath MD named Royal Copeland, who was a senator, he enshrined in the FDA charter that there would be a homeopathic pharmacopoeia uh, approved by the FDA. And now they're trying to basically remove that and so make remedies which don't kill anybody <laughs> illegal. So anyway, I hope we've been trying to stop it, but we'll see what happens. It's that threatening. Okay. It's that threatening. But the idea of you bringing this up and going back that far, if you keep going back, you know, the idea that there used to be, you know, allopathic hospitals and homeopathic hospitals, they both existed for a time. And then, and I know it's a detailed story, but eventually yeah. allopathic won because mainly that's where the profit was. Um, yeah. And there were a lot of players in that. But just the idea that there used to be homeopathic hospitals would be news for a lot of people who are just learning about homeopathy. Or med schools. I mean, mo a lot of yeah. medical schools actually started as homeopathic colleges. Yeah, yeah. The Hahnemann, the Hahnemann School in Philadelphia, which is a sure. pretty famous medical school, is named after Hahnemann, the founder of homeopathy. And in the 1800s, homeopathy really spread because it was effective in treating all these epidemics, yellow fever epidemics, all kinds of epidemics. And so it Basically, all these doctors started becoming homeopaths, and that was when the, the uh, American Medical Association was formed in the 1800s to get rid of homeopathy because they were very angry that their you know, doctors becoming homeopaths, and so they forbid people to associate with homeopaths. So like there were cases, like the first doctors, women doctors in the United States were homeopaths. There was a women's me homeopathic medical school. So anyway, yeah, there were still homeopathic medical schools through the World War I, uh, but by World War II, they were all converted to allopathy. And the one thing I've noticed with my son is anything energetic really was what was going to have a profound effect on him. So if I think about, you know, homeopathy, we know was a game changer for him. Also things more spiritual, like church for him was like one of his favorite places to go to. But yeah. it's really, you know, the energy, I feel like, especially if you have a child who has autism, a lot of times it's, and you have to embrace things you might not have known. So I was not raised with homeopathy, either was my husband, but it was something that I just knew was right for my child. And I think for parents out there who have children with autism, who are more sensitive than most kids are, and like you said, we now, our environment now is much more polluted than it ever has been, like going back to these things that energetically connect with our kids can make a profound difference. Yeah. I also found like osteopathy was important uh, back then. It's another very subtle uh, form of treatment, you know, this hands-on osteopathy, that was also important. 
Yeah, I mean, these kids are so, they're like psychic too, like you said. I think my son was really psychic. He's not, now that he's not anymore. So (laughs) now he never shuts up. (laughs) Yeah, we have one. We have one of those. Our son who used to not talk, who is probably, he's, you know, he would love to be a game show host. Like he is nonstop talker. He used to be nonverbal and he, uh, and I remember I got angry when I heard parents who were fortunate enough to have their child progress, who said, oh yeah, he didn't talk before. And now he doesn't stop. And they were saying that. I'm like, how could anybody ever say that? Because it's such a gift for them to be able to speak. And I know many parents don't get that, but no, no question. It's amazing to see how much a child can progress and go from nonverbal to nonstop talking. Yeah. yeah, I got to tell, I'll tell you, um, Max, my son, Max, now he lives in LA. He he went to film school. He was an animator working in advertising for movies and TV. But, you know, LA has kind of been moribund since COVID. Sure. So while he's, 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 so there's less work, but he's been trying to be an actor. And uh, he's starting to get little things. He just did his first advertisement. He's That's very handsome. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Who knows? Maybe one day you'll see him on TV or. Fantastic. That's beautiful. When I rewind, and yes, I never read your book, I listened to it. So I was so thankful (laughs) that it was on audio form because I was the overwhelmed parent with no time to to do any reading for sure. But in listening to your book, I think the thing that really resonated with me was. And what we try to help other parents do now is to, you know, what's your strategy? What's your strategy for wanting to help your child? What do you, because you know your child best, what do you think the right approach is? And I think homeopathy, when you just really strip it down, like what's the strategy behind it? It's allow you to tap the healing force of the body with the presumption that there's nothing more powerful than the body's innate power to heal, that really, really just resonated with me because then you're comparing it to, right, so the body has an innate capability to heal, comparing that to medicine, trying to guess and trying to push or trying to change. It just, for a very logical person like myself, it just made much more sense. Why not tap into that force that we don't fully understand at all but we know it's there. If you get cut, you heal. Your body knows what to do. And so that's where that strategy was really important. And I felt really confident going with Cass and, and her you know, idea of us really leveraging homeopathy because it made sense in terms of, yes, I don't think man is more powerful than the body's innate healing force. Yeah. What would I do now? I mean, like, you know, there's so much information and I think that makes it more overwhelming to people. I was sort of like, I don't know what to do. You know, there was, so I think that one should start, first of all, trust your intuition and your gut. Like you might even find a homeopath, but they may not be the right one for you. You have to find one that will understand your your child so they can find the right remedy, okay? Trust your intuition. If the doctor tells you this is impossible, you gotta do this, if you feel like that's wrong, leave. Yep. Right. Yep. I mean, trust your intuition. You're the parent and you have this connection with your child. Number two, if you want to do the most benign things first, right? Do the things that you know aren't going to harm. Like this is one thing that's beautiful about homeopathy is that it's very unlikely that we'll harm, 
harm you. And in order for your body to heal, there might be things that homeopaths call it maintaining causes, things that are just aggravating your kid and making it really hard for the body to heal, right? So the aggravations might be certain foods, right? So I think eliminating certain foods is also a benign approach. And do one thing at a time. Try to use, be a scientist about it. Experiment. I'm eliminating dairy or whatever. Does that help? That was actually the first thing we did. Because I was reading in, there were like the, uh, the fine gold diet was something that pe- it was like the first thing I heard about. And I said, and Max, a lot of times the food that you got to eliminate is the one the kid is addicted to. Yes. <laughs> Max was addicted to milk. He was so, he would just drink milk, milk, milk. And that was the first veil. It was just like, it, that was aggravating him. And so it was it made, I think he finally was entered the world when we removed the milk. He was like living in a dream world, you know? So, uh, but then, you know, okay, so we remove these, these aggravating factors now and, you know, turn off the Wi-Fi. It's like not good for you. I got to tell you this. I have a friend who was at Stanford with me. She is one of the world experts on remote telemetry from space probes. So when all these things are in outer space and they're sending signals back and they come back and they have to be received, she knows a lot about stuff like this, electromagnetic signaling and blah, blah. That's her. She has a PhD in that. She will not have Wi-Fi in her house. Okay, she mm-hmm. thinks it's dangerous. That alone was like, okay, thank you very much. Okay, you can at least turn it off when you go to bed. We still have all our computers hooked up, corded with, yep. you know, that. Yep. So, like, you know, remove these things as best as you can. Sometimes it's hard so that it's not aggravating, so that your body's ch- your child's body can begin to heal itself, you know? So, and then what the other thing I was going to say is patience. Be systematic and patient. This is not a race. It's a slow, it's like journey. Step, it's a journey. Yep. Right. You know, I have these parents, I mean, understandably go into panic mode. Oh my God. And then I got to try everything. And they do everything at once and they're completely confused. They don't know what's doing what. It's all confusing. They're getting impatient. Oh, I took a remedy. My kid is not healed the next day. That's right. it. Doesn't work. No, it's yeah. not like that. Even with Max, yeah. it was like, which was sort of almost an ideal case. This took like months and months. And really, I uh, he was like testing normally within a year and a half. But then I really didn't feel he was fully free until like, you know, he was like 10. And we started at about um, at three. For me, it's like a layer of an onion. Like there is onion, like our kids are different layers. So it's kind of getting through what does your child need then? The other thing about homeopathy that I love that maybe you want to talk a little bit about is that sometimes our kids might have really random symptoms and they might seem scattered or random to you, but in reality, there are remedies that connect it. So I remember, you know, I always, I love intakes with homeopaths because they are, get so specific. Like, does your child like hot food or cold food? Are they left, you know, left-sided or right-sided? Because sometimes these nuances that make our kids unique are the ones that are going to give homeopaths homeopaths the biggest clue. 
Right. So in my book, like chapter eight, I sort of go through like all these things that you should prepare for the, the, it's so different than going to the doctor. Okay. The homeopath is not really that interested in your classic autism symptoms because every autistic kid is like that. They want to know what's different about this kid so I can find the right remedy for them. So yeah, like you said, every physical nuance, even like things like the, the things they're fascinated with, the things that they're attracted to, the things they're afraid of, like, uh, do they sweat? Do they, what foods are they craving? Personality, are they afraid of animals? Are there animals they like? I don't know. It's just like everything. Like I suggest that you, before you go to the homeopath, you take a piece of paper. And the homeopath doesn't really need all your test results and all like that. They need to know about the person. So I, I say, take a piece of paper, follow your kid around for a few days, and they go, oh, yeah, because you don't even notice these things after all. And by the way, this is true if you go to the homeopath, too, and I do suggest parents also go, that it's a family thing, that your healing helps your child heal. Yep. It's like the whole energy of the family changes. You know, once Max was, like, doing better, we all started going. It changed our entire life. I gave up my career, you know which was a big deal. Believe me, it was a big deal. (laughs) And we all go, I mean, it's our first line of defense. Homeopathy is the first approach we use. That doesn't work then, you know, I'll try everything that's the most benign, the most benign first, you know. And would you even recommend, uh, because when we're sharing our experience, we always like to say to people, you know, clean up the environment, clean up the diet, remove the stressors, do all that first before you try homeopathy because then you're setting your child up for success. If someone hasn't done all those things, would you still recommend that they start homeopathy or would you think that that sequence makes sense? Well, I think that's ideal, but I think they can start right away. In fact, uh, sometimes, like let's say you're taking all these supplements and other things. Some of them might interfere with the remedy because... um, Because remedies are subtle, and so if you're doing something that's very, very severe, that might interfere with the action of the remedy. But in general, a lot of homeopaths say don't change anything. They want to see how the remedy affects. Because if you start changing a lot of stuff, it's hard to tell what's what's done what. But so that's why, uh, you know, yes, clean things up as much as possible. But once you start, just be patient and very slowly, maybe make changes. I remember that after that when we started with homeopathy, Max was in a particular nursery school, this Montessori. We had moved him into a Montessori. And then once he started like changing, he was starting to like speak or understand a little, but his behavior was inappropriate. Before he had been like very like in the corner just doing his little thing. But once he was trying to, he was just trying to interact, you know, and these teachers were not dealing with it. They were like, oh, you should put, we liked him before better. I said, okay, time to leave, time to make a change, right? He was changing. So we moved him to a different one and they they had no problem. You know, you need to shift because your kid's going to shift. Like people say, okay, I might have my kid in the ABA or some other, you know, thing. And then you introduce homeopathy and suddenly 
there's this shift and it does, it's too slow or something's not, it's just not right anymore. You need to move on to something more advanced or something better. You have to shift along with it. It's real and it's slow. It can be slow, but you have to, you know, it's really a journey, man. <laughs> it is a journey. It totally is a journey. And we, everything that you're sharing are things that we've learned on our journey. And it's so important though, for parents to realize that there's no, you know, quick fix that things do shift and you need to support as they need to be supported along the way. Yeah. Oh, I want to say one more thing. A lot of times like parents, I mean, people have been writing to me ever since this book came out, which was in 2003. Okay. That's a long time. And a lot of times they're saying, He's not talking yet. They want him to start. They want to give the kid the remedy, and then the next day the kid starts talking. No, that's not going to happen. <laughs> you know, think of uh, the kid as like living in this other world, and the kid is now have to enter your world. The first thing he isn't going to do is have a conversation with you. You know, he first might just make eye contact with you. He may first finally have bowel movements and relax. He may start sleeping, he or she, but it's usually he. You know, it's the body is very mysterious. It's going to do what it needs to thinks it needs to do first to heal. So it's a very patient. So just watch, and it may be subtle. You may not even notice. It's like, oh, yeah, he's finally sleeping more. Oh, he's suddenly eating a little more, you know, because you know what? Your body needs to sleep more than it needs to talk to you to talk it needs food and sleep more than it needs to communicate <laughs> you know no. so so the, the changes are according to the wisdom of the body which is yep. mysterious it truly is but it kind of goes back to what you were saying earlier with the i think it's all about the mindset going in and homeopathy at least in my opinion is unlikely to really quote unquote have a work or have a positive effect if you're only kind of like half committing like it, it's the type of thing if you're going to do it you, one understand it like understand what you're doing what it's all about and commit to doing it and having the perseverance to see it through because if you're just kind of okay i'll try it and then two days later you don't see major changes then you abandon it it's just a big wasted start and stop but it definitely is something that with commitment with that committing to hope and patience and just being very observant, it can be amazing what it can do. Right, right. And by the way, you know, even if your kid isn't like completely cured, if they can eat and go to the bathroom and communicate some and have interaction with your family, I mean, that's better than being locked away in, a, <laughs> in their previous state. So well, as far as you can get, it's totally worth it, you know? And it's funny, though, practitioners might take you part of the way and you might continue on. So I remember when we figured out the remedy that helped my son gain weight and grow and reconnect with us, you know, the homeopath we were working with at that time was like, okay, I'm done. It's like, okay, no, we still have more layers to go. So, you know, it's then finding who was going to be that next person who was going to help us to that next layer, because there are sometimes, you know, you have to be able to pivot and change and move on to what's next in that process. And it might not just be that one person. It may be, it may involve a few different people to get you there. 
Right. That is really important. I mean, I've over the years, I've had a few homeopaths myself. You just have to go with it and believe and trust. But this is one reason I wrote my book the way I did. You know, I'm, I was a practitioner for like a little bit, but that's not who I am. I'm much too neurotic to be somebody's practitioner. Anyway, I never treat autistic kids, but I wrote my book the way I did because I wanted to let people know what it's about so they can really be a good patient. Mm -hmm. And it really will teach you everything you need to know about homeopathy, but not what remedies to take. And because it's so all-encompassing, it's also used as a first-year textbook for a lot of schools because it covers the philosophy and the science and the experiments and the history and all this stuff. and has a lot of stories in it too. But if you read my book, you will understand what homeopathy is and you'll be prepared to embark on this process. You know, there's a lot of people out there who are doing various kinds of homeopathy. And my book really focuses on classical homeopathy. And I really try to discuss what the other forms are too, so at least you know. But, uh, you know, I'm still a big advocate for just sort of the purest classical homeopathy. And But, you know, once again, follow your intuition. Find the practitioner you think is right. And they may... You know, if you're not getting good effects or you just are, don't feel heard, find somebody else. Unfortunately, I wish there was more homeopaths out there, but they are. <laughs> They're there. So yeah, there's enough out there that you'll be able to find one, particularly even if you're doing it remotely. Right. But now with, with with uh, video chatting, it's a lot. It's a lot. It's, yeah. I always like in person the best, but, you know, now especially it has to be video chat. Yeah. But, but, but it may be where a lot of people might be even stuck earlier on. And we touched on it, but we were very blessed that the pediatrician we were working with, who was more of an integrative pediatrician and still is, uh, but he was the one who didn't recommend it to us, but we brought it to him, talked about it. He said, hey, you know something, this could you know, be a really good fit. Go with, and just like you were saying, Amy, go with your intuition, go with your gut. And so we were blessed that he kind of heard us and someone that we respected was saying, hey, yeah, he was encouraging us, give it a try. Um, but a lot of people may have pediatricians who that's not even on their radar, which is why we, we always like to recommend it to just to, to really make clear to everyone, you know, you get to choose who's on your team and who's surrounding your child. And if the pediatrician in your mind, if you want somebody with more tools in the toolbox and more awareness of what might help, then seek that person out. But having confidence and trust and just feeling like the people on the team are a fit is such an important step. Absolutely. We actually had our pediatrician and our neurologist both were supporters of homeopathy. So we really lucked out. Which is very unusual. I mean, most likely your pediatrician will say, oh, there's no proof of that stuff. That's that's yeah, bullshit. But the truth is there's lots and lots of scientific studies. There's lots of proof out there. Either they they don't believe it or they just don't know. Most likely they don't know about it because most of this work is not being done in the United States. It's being done in Europe and India and places like that. So now, Amy, you have uh, another book out. Active Consciousness. So, yeah, I, I saw my second book, which came out in 2011. It talks about homeopathy a little, but it's more of a spiritual book. It, it, it talks about meditation, and it's not a, a health book, but it, it's about synchronicity and psychic phenomena, and it, it's a very wide-ranging book and a model for 
manifestation. Anyway, it really weaves together a lot of things with along with homeopathy. And then I'm just finishing, I've just finished the first draft of my third book. Somehow it takes me like a long time to write these books. <laughs> so it's at readers right now. I'm hoping it'll come out by the end of the year. I don't I never reveal the title until it's out. But uh, it is sort of, um, it is both a spiritual and an alternative medicine, a medicine book. This is the way I describe it, is that there's many parts to who we are, from physical to energetic to emotional to all these layers of our being. And there's many, many therapies out there that primarily address different layers of our being. And, you know, allopathic medicine obviously addresses your physical being, but so does herbalism and stuff. A lot, most medicines that we're familiar with address the physical. At the physical level, homeopathy, I view it more at the, the next level, the etheric level, the, this, this energy level. But then there's emotional and there's these other levels. So what this book tries to do is first introduce these layers of who we are and then goes through all the different layers, all the different therapies at these different layers with hints about when is it appropriate or when you might you think about trying these other types of therapies for these different layers of your being. Because most of us only latch onto one or two types of treatment and we try it for everything, but it might not be appropriate for everything. There might be a lot of physical problems that could really be healed at the mo- at the emotional level instead. So like nice. your your classic one being let's say back pain or something really might be an emotional thing that has to be released right. through something. I I love I love for example this thing called the Sedona method and stuff. So uh I've learned over the years so many different types of therapies, not just homeopathy although that is still my first one, but that I want people to, I'm trying to provide some kind of organization or some framework for people to understand, like, when is it appropriate to try different types of things, you know? Oh, I'm excited. So, yeah, I'm excited. yeah, yeah, yeah. Check them out. Yeah, that'll be amazing. Yeah, yeah. So I think this will be my last book, Famous Last Words. <laughs> so. Well, we look forward to having you on when that book comes out, because I know yeah. we're very excited to read that one. Yeah. Yeah. So if people are interested in my stuff, you can go to impossiblecure.com. I also have uh, I have a website for activeconsciousness.com, but you can find it all also through amylansky.com. That's my blog. And we'll have all of that in the show notes below. So we okay. will have all of your links. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Yep. No, and, and I, I think as everyone who's listening to this knows, we're a huge fan of you, your book. Obviously, homeopathy was big for us. But we really want to put out there that whether homeopathy is a fit for you or not, you'll make that decision. But reading a book that really describes what this path is and what's it, what, how it works and the history, I mean, your book just did that so beautifully. So uh, I know it, you wrote it a while ago, but it's more relevant today than ever. And and it, you know, we talked about how homeopathy can work miracles. In your book, you recount so many examples. Uh, so it's not just your child and, and our child. We're ho- I mean, this is happening, and so many people are seeing what what it can do, and it's it's such a gift, and it's something that is definitely a road li- less traveled. Um, and your book just is so beautifully tees it up as to what it's all about. Thank you so much. Thank you, Amy. Are you truly running on all cylinders to help your child thrive? 
Take our free assessment to get your Warrior Parent score today. Visit warriorparentcoaching.com slash score because your transformation is the greatest gift you can give your child.